0: Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 815, 945, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message.
1: And we're going to reflect on a powerful text of Jesus, Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. And I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. And I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. And I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Pray with me. Lord, these are challenging, wonderful, convicting words, and I pray that we would sit at your feet, Lord, the living word, as we reflect on your written word. And would you meet us, and would you transform us, and would you reveal to us how we are to be missionally engaged in response to this teaching. We pray in your name, amen. Does listening to this passage make you uncomfortable? Does me. Does envisioning it, seeing it in your mind's eye, make you question which group you will be in? I do. The sheep, the goats. Part of what makes this text so troubling and uncomfortable is its clarity. (laughs) It's It's not its complexity. It's not a complex teaching of Jesus. It's very clear one of the clearest teachings of Jesus on what scripture refers to is the final judgment it used to trouble me that what Jesus teaches here appears to conflict with salvation by grace through faith that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ until i came to the realization and the conviction that it doesn't and in some ways that became even more troubling I believe that what Jesus teaches here goes hand in hand with salvation by grace through faith. We are justified by faith, by our allegiance to King Jesus. But that biblical faith always works. It always results in good works in His name. As John Calvin, the great reformer, said, if we do not do the things the Bible says people with saving faith do, then we probably don't have saving faith at all. That's just another way. In some ways, of what James was saying in James two seventeen, the faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith, biblical faith, is always active. Paul says in Galatians five verse six, the only thing that counts is faith, ex- is expressing itself through love. If there's no act of love, there's no act of faith. As theologian Dale Bruner says, recipients of God's grace become gracious people. And we all know that deep down. Deep down inside, we know that real faith results in real love. And throughout the Scriptures, we consistently see God's active love on behalf of those who are the least, who are lost, who are hurting, who are poor, who are suffering. There are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible that speak of God's heart for the poor. 2,000 verses. And as we all are aware, there are a lot of people in this God's world who are suffering, who are hurting, who are poor. Author and youth ministry veteran Jim Burns used to give to students what he called a poverty test to help them understand just the extent of their blessedness in a world of great need. And it was five questions he would give to students, and I've never forgotten them since the first time I heard Jim share these. He would ask students, do you have more than one pair of shoes? And the kids would laugh, of course, we have more than one pair of shoes. Did you have a choice of what you ate today? Well, I didn't like that school lunch, but, you know, I could have went to the a la carte line if I wanted to, so I guess I had a choice. Do you have access to any means of transportation? Well, my parents haven't bought me a car yet. Do you have a bicycle, he would say? Skateboard? Sure, of course. Do you have educational opportunities beyond grade school? I hope so. These high school kids would laugh. And do you own more than one pair of underwear? Everybody would kind of laugh at that. And then Jim Burns would say this. If you can answer yes to four of five of these questions, you are greatly blessed because there are millions, maybe billions of people in this God's world who can't answer yes to four of five of these questions. It's not just out there somewhere, is it? It's right here. It's in Franklin County. Poverty, homelessness, hunger, abuse in our own community, maybe right around the corner from this church. Sue Marshall, which we saw in the video, who's in the Haiti team, oversees a team of folks from King Street Church who minister with our Agape English program, which meets every Saturday night across the street in the ministry center. And the team that serves with her comes alongside people from our community who want to learn English, people from many nations around the world who are here in our community who want to learn English. And Sue was sharing recently with our local outreach commission about a, a woman in the class who seemed really tired, and so Sue asked her, she seemed exhausted, and she said, ask her in Spanish, you seem really tired, and the mother, this woman responded and said she was really having trouble sleeping. Why are you having such a hard time sleeping, Sue asked her. And she said, well, it's really hard to sleep on the floor. It's really hard. And Sue knew that she had a 10-year-old son and she, she asked about her son. Does your son sleep on the floor too? And she said, yes, he does. And so Sue went to work trying to find beds for these, these two folks. First, she, uh, she was asking friends for a used mattress, but then she thought, she told us she thought of these words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I wouldn't ask for a used mattress for someone in my own family. So she went to our deacons and asked if they would purchase two beds for this family, and they did. They readily agreed to. And the next time, so Sue arranged for the beds to be delivered, and the very next day after the beds had been delivered it was a Saturday night, and in the class, the woman was there, and she shared this. It's a direct quote with Sue. She said, how rich was my sleep last night. was the last time you described your sleep as rich. And then she shared this. Her son loved his bed so much that he asked his mother to take a picture of him in his bed so he could show it to his friends in school, that he had a bed. Taking a picture of your bed recently to show to someone that you have a bed. In our text in Matthew 25, Jesus, our Savior and Lord, informs us that He cares so deeply about the poor, about the hurting, about the suffering, that He ties our response to them with our judgment before Him. He ties our response to them with our judgment before Him. Verse 31 begins with a staggering sight. Jesus, it says, is coming in all of His glory with all the angels. Note how many times it says all in that verse. And all the nations of all time and all the peoples will be gathered. All of us will be there. This is the ultimate gathering of all time to be followed by the ultimate and great separation. Judgment. Jesus says it will be like when a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Some people call this a parable. I don't, I don't refer to this as a parable. This is, that's just a metaphor Jesus used. It's like a shepherd. He's, this is a teaching of Jesus. And then our Lord will say to this This wonderful word to the righteous, to the sheep, to those on his right. He will say, come, come. That's the same word used to call the disciples. The same invitation issued to every one of us. Come unto me, come to Jesus. It's so important that we never stop coming to Jesus. Today is an opportunity for us to come to Jesus. This is a reminder by Jesus that to come is a gift of his grace. Come, he says, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Here Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is the goal of all of human history. We wouldn't know that from reading the newspaper, would we? That the kingdom of God is the goal of all of human history. And if you want to capture just a glimpse of what that coming kingdom looks like, I would encourage you today or sometime this week to read the second half of Isaiah 65 and to read that along with Revelation 21 where we have this vision of a time when the lion will lie with the lamb and where every tear will be wiped away. It's an an amazing kingdom that's coming that we taste just a little bit of in, in the body of Christ. But it's coming. And then in verse 35 to 36, Jesus will tell those why they're invited into the kingdom. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Please note, Jesus doesn't say, I was thirsty, and you dug a well. Digging a well is awesome. But he doesn't say that's what they did. He just gave a cup of water. He doesn't say, I was sick and you healed me, which is wonderful. He says, I was sick and you visited. I was in prison and you liberated me. That's great, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, you cared. These are not sensational ministries, are they? They're not flashy. These are little ministries shared with little people with forgotten people. Basic human needs are being met here. And I think it's important also to emphasize that these six works of mercy that Jesus talks about, feeding, clothing, providing water, shelter, caring, and visiting, these are illustrative. They're not exhaustive. There's as many needs as there are people, right? There's as many needs as there are people. The late Mother Teresa of Calcutta was fond of saying that every person we meet is dying for a drop of love. Every person. The people invited into the kingdom respond in verses 37 to 39. The righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? I'm struck by the humility of the righteous. In their response, they reveal that they didn't do these acts of mercy so as to prove themselves or to earn God's favor. They were just doing the kinds of things their Savior did when He walked the earth. The word you is emphasized in these three verses seven times. When was it you, Lord? We didn't feed you. We didn't see you. We didn't know we were clothing you. We weren't doing it for you. We just saw and helped hurting people. And in response, Jesus gives one of the most, to me, startling and breathtaking responses in all of the Bible. Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Just sit with that. I know that's a verse we've heard. Just sit with that for a second. That's Jesus speaking. In essence, what Jesus is saying here is that he disguises himself in the face of the hurting. That he disguises himself in those in need. When we care for them, we care for him. No, let me clarify that. When we care for the one, Jesus says. The one. Now we might respond, surely one person isn't all that significant in a world that's bursting with need. But Jesus wants us to think again. In fact, Jesus says, one of the least of these. So we need to be especially alert when we encounter someone who appears to be especially insignificant lest we miss the Lord. Scott McKnight, in his book, 40 Days of Living, The Jesus Creed, tells a story of a friend of his who works as a nurse in an inner city hospital in Chicago and a night that just profoundly impacted her. A man was brought in who no one really wanted to take care of He, due to his physical condition. He was homeless. He appeared to be mentally ill. He had plastic bags tied around his feet. It was a horrific odor coming from him. And she is kind of asked by her boss to be the one to carry out the doctor's cleaning instructions. And she, she writes this. As I waited with George, that's the name we'll give this man, the numbness of my business was interrupted by an overwhelming sadness. I watched... George restless and mumbling incoherently to himself. His eyes were hidden behind his ratted, curly, shoulder-length hair. I wondered about his past and what happened to bring him to this hopelessly empty place. No one in the ER that day really looked at him. No one wanted to touch him. They wanted to ignore him and his broken life. As much as I tried, I couldn't. I was being drawn to him. As we entered the shower room, I set out the shampoo, soap, "'and towels like it was a five-star hotel. "'I felt in my heart that for at least 10 minutes "'this forgotten man would be treated as a king. "'I thought for those 10 minutes "'he'll see the love of Jesus in me. "'I set down the foot sponge "'and decided I would do the gentle "'beddy-dine foot scrub by myself "'as soon as the shower was finished. "'I called the stock room "'for two large basins and a chair.' And when George was finished in the shower, I pulled back the curtain, walked him to the throne of warmed blankets and two basins set on the floor. As I knelt at his feet, my heart broke and stomach turned as I gently picked up his swollen, rotted feet. Most of his nails were black and curled over the top of his toes. The skin was rough, broken, oozing pus. Tears streamed down my face while my gloved hands tenderly sponged the brown soap over his wounded feet. The room was quiet, as the once mocking security guard started to help by handing me towels. As I patted the last foot dry, I looked up, and for the first time, George's eyes locked into mine. And for that moment, he was alert, he was aware, and he was weeping as he quietly said, thank you. And in that moment, I realized that I was the one seeing Jesus. He was there all along, right where he said he would be. In verse 40 of Matthew 25, Jesus shows us the great depths and the great heights of His identification with the least of these. As you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto Me. And then in verse 41, Jesus says these words. Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's difficult to imagine these words coming from the lips of Jesus isn't it i mean these this might be the most awful statement ever spoken by jesus one day some will hear these words of jesus and they will cry why and jesus will say this because i was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat and i was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. And I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. And I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. What we see here is that Jesus is repelled by heartlessness. He's repelled by heartlessness. Please note the judgment that these folks receive is not in response to what they have done, but it's in response to what they have not done particularly in response, in relation to that seemingly insignificant one. It's what they neglected to do with the least of these that damns them. Missionary and theologian Dale Bruner, in his commentary, as he reflects on this verse, he interjects this statement, which I keep with me. Disciples of Jesus, and I pray that's all of us, who in good faith hear these words of Jesus will fall on their knees in poverty of spirit to ask the Lord to give them another chance to do something the rest of their lives, however inadequate, however little, however basic for people in need. When did we see you, Lord? If we would have known it was you, (laughs) we would have responded. It seems that these people were looking for the Lord, but they missed Him. Why? I believe because they were looking too high. The Scriptures, this Scripture and throughout the Bible, reveal to us that the high Lord is often found in the low human. And So we agree with Martin Luther, who said these words in response to this text. Oh dear Lord God, how are we so blind that we don't take such love to heart? Who could have fought it up that God Himself throws Himself so deep down into our midst and accepts the works of all those who give themselves to the poor as though they were done for Him? Thus the world is full. It's full of God. In every alley, before your door, you find Christ. I want to conclude with some implications, some applications for us and for myself first and then to share with you. Here... here just for us to reflect upon. Here's the first. It's clear in this text that no one really knew that they were visiting or feeding or clothing or giving a drink to or showing hospitality to Jesus, right? Nobody knew that. So the implication is it's best to just assume that we encounter the Lord, the Lord of glory, in anyone who's in need. One person said it this way, every one of us has access to Jesus Christ through a person in need, Dr. Anthony Campolo once made this comment, the suffering, the poor, the oppressed, the starving, they're sacramental, not because they're good and not because they're holy, but mainly because, Campolo says, Jesus says so. He says that we encounter him through them. Here's a second implication. The ministries we see in this passage are exceedingly simple acts of kindness. Anyone can do them. It doesn't take supernatural gifts or special theological training. No one will stand on the day of judgment and say, That just wasn't my gift, God. I didn't know how to give a cup of cold water. I couldn't hand somebody some food. I couldn't do that. There will be no excuses. Thirdly, here's an implication that I've drawn from this for myself. I think the key characteristic of the sheep, of the righteous, of those on the right, are twofold. I think they take initiative, we see that. They, they do things, but their hearts are soft. They're vulnerable. They work and they weep. Their hands are calloused on behalf of the poor and their cheeks are tear-stained. I think we need both. I think to work and not to weep can make us hard-hearted. And I think to weep and not to work is meaningless. We need both. We need to take initiative, and we need to do it in a heart of compassion. Here's a fourth application. I believe this final judgment teaching of Jesus calls us to -to face-to-face interaction with those in need. I think it calls us to be in relationship. Jesus says, these are my brothers and sisters. We need to know people by name. Not only because of the blessing that we can be, but more importantly, because of the blessing we receive. We meet Jesus. And if you doubt that, I would encourage you to talk to anyone who serves with our after-school ministry, or with Once More Ministries, or with the Agape English program, or who serves in our Haiti Barnabas team, or who serves in the the cold-weather drop-in shelter, or with network ministries in our community. Ask them, who's received the greater blessing? Being in relationship with those in need is a mark of the righteous. And here's a final implication that I want to emphasize. This is incredibly serious, isn't it? This is really serious teaching of Jesus. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jody made the statement in reflecting just briefly on this text that this will be on the final. Do you remember him saying that? When you were in school and the teacher said, this will be on the final, you wrote that down. You made sure you knew that. Well, this will be on the final. The great divorce at God's last day judgment will show that the way we treat others, especially the least of these, affects God's heart deeply and affects us eternally. I want to conclude with this statement by Francis Chan. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love, especially the least of these. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm convicted by this passage, deeply convicted. And I pray, Lord, for, for those of us that are as disciples of Jesus, we will in poverty of spirit fall on our knees before you. And Lord, you will reveal to us how we can respond in obedience out of our love for you, recognizing that we are recipients of amazing grace. Lord, may that grace flow through us into the lives of those in need all around us, all around this world. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.